This is episode number 15 of The Interim, with me, Josh O'Neill. I want to talk to you guys today about um, something that's been on my mind over the last several days. Um, I know that with everything going on with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and a lot of the economic impacts that have been going on, many people have found themselves in circumstances that they might consider to be uh, impossible to overcome or overwhelming. And you're definitely not alone in this. A lot of us have found ourselves in circumstances that um, we don't see a way around or a way through, and the obstacles can seem so big that we can't overcome them. I want to turn our focus today to a miracle that Jesus performed in the feeding of the 5,000. And this is something that I read about this week, and I don't want to talk about it in terms of um, just the fact that it's one of the miracles that Jesus performed out of the many. Um, I want to focus on this one in in a slightly different way by looking at um, the response of two of the disciples to the circumstances, and then I want to talk a little bit about our focus and what we're focusing on now and where our state of mind is when things get difficult or we seem to face impossible circumstances. And so I want to start by reading the account in John chapter 6. And the interesting thing about this miracle is that it is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in some capacity. It describes slightly differently, but the miracle is talked about in each of those Gospels, which gives it a, a kind of a significance. So let's go ahead and, and read that, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit about what I want to focus on today. And we start in John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw the signs which he had performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men who had seen this sight that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So I want to focus today, and I use the word focus here specifically, on our focus, or the focus of the disciples in this scenario, and how it relates to us. 
with the question on our mind of where is your focus? So we start at the beginning of this account, and it says, after these things. And so I want to just give a little short background on, on what that's referring to. So the, after these things, what was going on at the time? So between chapters 5 and 6 in the book of John, there's likely a several-month period that is between those, that is um, not covered or discussed in, in this account or this gospel. And it had likely been months where the... Uh, disciples had been separated from Jesus when he had sent them out to go and to preach the good news to the surrounding villages. So these 12 disciples had spent months traveling around the villages, spreading the good news. They were likely exhausted, tired, weary, and they had just linked back up with Jesus to rest from all the things they've been doing and to spend some quality time away from the people. So they, they were outside of the village that they were at, and they were with Jesus to get some some rest from the things they've been doing. But as we continue on, obviously there was another plan that was going on that they were not aware of. And so they look up, and in verse 5, Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward them, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? It's an interesting thing that Jesus asked what they should do. It'd be, and if we can put ourselves in the circumstance and think about what that would mean. So at this point, they've been with Jesus for a little while, and they, they would have known that he, he always had a plan, right? He had something in mind. He was usually directing and telling, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to be. And, and they would likely have, have thought the same thing here. So you can imagine Philip being surprised when Jesus turns to him and asks, hey, what are we going to do here, right? How are we going to feed these people? Where should we go to buy bread? And he continues in verse 6, and he said, But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So this was a test to Philip to see what he would say and to probe into where his focus was. So Jesus says, Where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? And so that these may eat. Well, how many is these, right? And the, later on in the account, it says that it was 5,000 men. Estimates of this to include women and children in this crowd could be between 10 and 20,000 people. 10 and 20,000 people. Philip's response was 200 denarii is not enough to feed these people, which is not the answer to the question that Jesus asked. Jesus says, Where should we go to buy bread? Not how much is it going to cost? And to give you an insight into the amount of money that Philip was talking about, he was talking about a total value of about $34 in today's money. $34 is not enough to feed 5,000 people, much less 10,000 people with any type of legitimate amount of food. So we see here that Philip was focused on the statistical impossibility, the numbers. He wasn't even answering the question that Jesus asked. He was focused on the impossibility of paying for the amount of food they would need to feed this many people. When if he was actually thinking properly, he might have answered, this is impossible with me, but it's nothing to you. But he didn't do that. It doesn't stop there. Andrew, who is mentioned as Simon Peter's brother, offers a different response. He says, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? To break down what that is saying, 
the actual definitions of the terms you know, five barley loaves and two small fish, you can imagine a barley loaf in this sense being the size of about a pancake. So we have five pancakes and two small fish. The word used for small fish in this case would refer to a small pickled fish like a sardine. So we have two sardines and five pancakes is basically what he said. But what are they among so many? See, Andrew was focused on the situation. This is what we have, but what is it amongst so many people? There's no way, right? It's impossible. Both of these two guys were focused on material things that could be controlled by them, not on what Jesus was going to do or whether or not he had a plan. They didn't ask him a question of what he would do. They told him what the circumstance or the situation was, what the likelihood was, that it was impossible. And they minimized their opinion of Jesus, basically by saying, Jesus, there's no way. But of course, there was a way. And so we see Jesus' response. He says, make the people sit down. And so he involved the disciples directly in this miracle by allowing them to participate and letting the people sit down and then later on distributing the food so that they could touch and feel and see what the miracle was and feel the power of, of Jesus through this miracle. And so Jesus' response was, have the people sit down. Hmm. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise the fish, as much as they wanted. Jesus took those five pancakes, two sardines, he blessed them, and then he distributed them to the entire group of people, and pay attention to this, as much as they wanted, so that they were filled. See, that's what Jesus does. We take a circumstance, and we look at the impossible, and Jesus' response is, to defy what we think is impossible, not only to achieve it, but to go beyond it. To the point where even afterwards he says to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Twelve baskets left over, twelve disciples to go and gather them up. You see, because that's what Jesus does. That's what God does for his people. He doesn't hit the minimums. He doesn't give up when it's impossible because nothing is impossible for him. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. He does the impossible. He doesn't care about what we see as limitations. He doesn't care about what we think is something we can't overcome. Later, John will say to his disciples, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Because nothing is too large or too great for him. So when we find ourselves facing circumstances that we think are too big for us to handle, and they likely are, impossible, we do well to remember a story like this when the circumstance was impossible for men. Jesus already had a plan 
He tested his disciples to see where their mentality was. They failed dismally, like we do many times. And then he executed the plan he already had in order to show them exactly what he was capable of so that they would realize how powerful he was and where the focus should be. Not where it was for the disciples at the beginning. So when you face impossibility, leave it in the hands of the specialist, Jesus, God. Focus on God and His power, not on what can't be done. So what is your impossible situation? It could be a job that you lost. It could be having to feed your kids when your income is low at the moment or non-existent for some people. With all the craziness going on, with all the chaos, the mixed information, it can be easy to get caught up in the whirlwind and to not see a way out, not see a way around the difficult circumstances we find ourselves in. But that's not where the Christian should be focused. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's where our focus should be is on God and His kingdom, not on what's going on in the world, although we should be aware of what's going on in the world, but to not be caught up in it to the point where we lose focus on what is true and important. Give your circumstance to God, trust Him, and watch the specialist do His work in your life and in your circumstances. Let's remember that when faced with an impossible circumstance, the disciples didn't know what to do, but God had a plan. And so I want to just read a few verses here talking about God's power, reminding us that He is in control, that He is powerful and mighty, and that although our circumstances may seem impossible, He is able to overcome them. So here's just a few verses on God's power. 1 Chronicles 29.11 says, Yet yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And all things were created through him and for him. Jeremiah 10:12 says, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the earth by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. God is mighty. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our focus and our attention because He is the source of our strength. Many times in the Psalms, God is referred to as our refuge and our strength. And in Psalm 46, He is a very present help in time of trouble. We do well to remember these things in a time in our country and across the world 
when troubles seem to be around every corner and when storms seem to never cease. People losing their jobs, companies filing for bankruptcy, millions of people forced to stay at home. These things can cause anxiety, fear, depression, if we don't focus on God and His plan. Because like the Bible says, God is not slow as some people count slowness, but He will bring things to pass on His timetable. And so if we focus on Him and we hang on to His promises and we call Him on His promises, He will not forget. He never will. And I want to kind of close this off by reading a section out of the book of Job, verse 9. And we don't really think about the book of Job too often. Um, we think about it in terms of uh, Job losing all of his possessions as a test um, from Satan orchestrated by God to prove that Job was faithful to God. But there's a section here in chapter 9 that talks about just the power of God. And so think on this today after you listen to this. Maybe go back and read it and reread these things I've discussed here and Think about your view of God. How do you view the might and the power of God? Or do you have an opinion on it at all? So here it is out of Job chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? If one wishes to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? He removes the mountains, and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun, and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? See, that's the God that as believers, we serve. He is powerful. He is worthy of our focus. He's worthy of our healthy fear. But He is loving and tender and just, and He will be there for you when it seems everything is impossible. So it's my hope that as we come to a point in this pandemic and these circumstances going on and we begin to see possibly light at the end of the tunnel as far as the social distancing things and companies being closed down and all of these circumstances that have seemed to overwhelm us that when we emerge or begin to emerge on the other side that we hold fast to our focus on God. 
his power, his might, and his plan for us, for you, for me, for everyone. Remember whose you are. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are his. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. I hope that all of you spend a good amount of time contemplating these things and and I hope that that brings you some sort of peace of mind and a little bit of rest in God's power. Thank you guys for listening and we'll be back with another episode soon.